Well, it is the fourth Sunday of the month. I see some of you are very excited about uh, that, and others of you are a little reluctant. I see that. But we're going to test our knowledge in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to say this. I want you all to know that there's been some people that has been making accusations against the pastor. I I want you all to know that I am not a name caller from up front, so I'm not going to do that. They have accused me when we come to the fourth Sunday and we say our scripture in unison, they have accused me of cheating. Did y'all know that? They have. But and the reason, this is why, I, I will tell you, they said because you have a screen in the back that's in front of you, they're putting up the words. That's the reason why you never get it wrong. But I want you to look back there right now. There are no words on that screen. Do you see that this morning? So I want you to know as your pastor, I am not cheating. Uh, there are times that I struggle in memorizing Scripture as well. But let me say this. Scripture memorization is one of the great disciplines of the Christian faith. And it's very important in our lives. Do you remember what the psalmist said in the 119th Psalm? I have hidden God's word in my heart that I may not sin against him. I want you to think about this. How many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus Christ when he's tempted in the wilderness. Y'all remember that story? Every time Jesus defeated the enemy, he defeated him with the word of God. Did you know that? When I think about that story, you know what it says to me? It shows me the importance of hiding God's word in my heart. Because if I don't have God's word hidden in my heart, When the enemy attacks me, I will fail every time. I will give in to the temptation of the enemy. But this is a unique thing. Every believer has been given the Spirit of God. And when we face temptation, it is the Spirit of God that brings to our hearts and our minds verses of Scripture that enables us to defeat the enemy in our lives. So let me ask you this. If there's no scripture hidden in your heart, how well do you think you're going to do? Oh, not too good, huh? What do you think? Yeah. So that's the reason we have started this scripture memorization on Sunday mornings where we as a church, a congregation together, stand and we say our verse of Scripture together. Now, some are more eager than others. I saw Brother, jo- I saw brother, uh, 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 brother Bob here almost jump up out of his chair at the opportunity. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you're a guest with us this morning, surely you will not have had the opportunity to know what verse of Scripture we're going to share this morning. So don't worry. You just, just stand there and be our guest and listen as God's people together in unison share a verse of Scripture, or actually two verses of Scripture together. One, two, three. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, but stands in the way, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. All right, be seated. I'm sorry, I messed up this morning. I got ahead of myself, so y'all see. I hope you already recognize this. Your pastor is by no means perfect. 
If you don't believe that, just hang out with me for a little while and you will realize that. All right, so if you have your Bibles this morning, I would ask that you open them up to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you have been with us on Sunday morning, we have been reading chronologically the Bible together. So what we do each fourth Sunday is we say a verse of Scripture that we have memorized, and then we teach or I teach or preach out of a passage of Scripture from my reading over the past month. If you've been following along with us as we've been chronologically reading through the Bible, this past month we read through the book of Proverbs. Now, I don't know about you, but the book of Proverbs is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I like what Billy Graham said about the book of Proverbs. Billy Graham said that there are 31 Proverbs for a reason. There's 31 31 chapters of Proverbs for each day of the month. You know what? That is so very true. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Now, which one of us doesn't need the wisdom of God as we live our lives out here in the real world? If you don't need the wisdom of God, I give you permission you can leave right now, all right? I would think that as followers of Jesus Christ, we can all agree that we need the wisdom of God as we walk, as we seek to live by faith, in this world. Now this is the statement I want you to consider this morning. I want you to listen to it carefully. Have you ever thought about this statement? God wants you to be successful in your relationship with Him. Have you ever thought about that? Now I will say, when I hear the word success in God, in the same statement, there is something in me that cringes. Am I the only one? And the reason that is, is because of the prosperity gospel. You see, our world in which we live in defines success as fame, fortune, prosperity, prestige, titles. That's how the world defines success. But that is not how God defines success. God defines success with one word. This is it. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. If we are faithful to be who God has called us to be, and we are faithful to do what God tells us we should do, do you know what God says? He says, you have been successful. Did you know that? Well, don't take my word for it, all right? Let's take the Word of God for it. Since God speaks through His Word to us, and the Word of God is inspired of the Holy Spirit, it is without any mixture of error, I want you to listen to what one of the wisest men who ever lived had to say about being successful 
in our relationship with the Lord. Proverbs, the third chapter, listen to verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So what does Solomon say? He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one of the wisest men who has ever lived, and he says this, this is the way to have success in your relationship with God. Isn't that what he's saying? As a matter of fact, this word success here means repute. It refers or carries the ideal of approval in the sight of God. Now listen carefully. If a person follows the wisdom of God, choosing to be faithful in what God has called him to do, then this is what God says. You are a success. Do you see that? So I want you to follow along with me as I read this passage of Scripture. We're going to begin to read here in verse 1. This is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Another reason the book of Proverbs is one of my favorite books is it contains two of my life verses. Two verses that I memorized early on in life, early on in my ministry that God has used me, has used in my life to help me keep on track with Him. Those two verses are found in, I mean, in verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. God has used those two verses in my life on numerous different occasions to help me walk by faith and not by sight. Did you hear what he said there? Trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you lean on your own understanding in making decisions in life? Aren't we all guilty of that? Yeah, I have. But can I say this to you? When we lean on our own understanding, more than not, I will tell you, we will make the unwise decision in life. There are times that God calls us to do things in life that is beyond our human reasoning. Do you believe that? I do. I remember in 2009, taking my family at my home and telling my wife, looking her in the eyes and saying to her, I believe that God is calling us back to the mission field. And there were well-meaning people in our lives that questioned that decision. I'll never forget there was this one little old lady, that or elderly lady, I shouldn't say that, one little elderly lady at this church that we spoke at before we left to go over on the mission field, and she came up to me afterwards with all the sincerity in her heart, and she said to me, Oh, Brother Jeff, what are you and Miss Robin going to do with your children when y'all go over there? 
I said, well, I think we'll just leave them with you. Is that okay? (laughs) But can I say the nine years, that almost nine years that we spent in the country of Zambia was some of the greatest spiritual blessings we have ever experienced in life. God's taught us so much about what it truly means to trust Him and lean not on our own reasoning. If you get nothing else out of this message, I hope you'll walk away with that. Because if you're like me, sometimes when I begin to make challenging decisions in life, you know what I do? I sit down and I look at all of the pros and the cons, and then I make a decision based on that. I will just tell you, that's not always the best method to make a decision. We need to trust the Lord and look to Him for guidance in life. If we'll trust in Him, He will make our paths straight. Do you see that? Let's go. Let's read this passage together. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. I'm sure we would all be excited about length of days and years of life and peace. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The unique thing is, in the Hebrew language, this is not two separate thoughts. This is one thought in this passage of Scripture. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablets of your heart. The first century Jewish people had an unusual practice. In order to show their love and devotion to the Lord, they made little wooden boxes that were called phylacteries. And they would write down the Word of God. They would place them in those boxes and they would attach them to their wrist or they would attach them around their neck or to their forehead. It was a sign of devotion and love to the Lord. Now, aren't you grateful we don't have to do that anymore? Can you imagine us all walking around with a little wooden box stuck on our forehead? No, we don't do that anymore. You know why? Because the Spirit of the living God has taken His Word and He has written it on the heart of believers. Amen? If you have the Spirit of the living God in you, you have in you the Word of God. We just need to act on it. Now go back here and listen to what he's saying here. Verse 4, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make make straight your paths. Do not or be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights." You know, one of the great characteristics of the believer is this. We've all been disciplined by God. Isn't that true? Isn't there times in life we all need to be taken behind the woodshed by the Lord? 
Isn't that right? When our attitudes and our actions, the words we speak, our thoughts are not always godly. Y'all are looking at me like, man, what is he talking about this morning? But isn't that true of all of us? Don't we all come up short in our relationship with the Lord and it takes the good, stern discipline of a loving Father to correct us? Yes. This morning, what I would like to do in the time that we have is I want to point out to you three areas of our lives that we will have to surrender to the Lord if we are successfully going to live out our relationship with Him in the year of 2020. Solomon wanted his readers to understand there were areas of their life that they needed to be faithful in if they were going to experience the success of the Lord in their life. If they were going to hear the words of the Lord, you have been successful in your relationship with me. These are areas you're going to have to be faithful in. Let me share them with you this morning quickly. Number one, we will all have to surrender our time to the Lord. If we are going to be successful in our relationship with the Lord in the year of 2020, I will tell you the only way that can happen in our, li- in our lives is if we are faithful with the time that the Lord has given us. Over the years, I have come to understand something very important about time, a very interesting fact. Now, I want you to hear it. Don't miss it, all right? I'm going to tell you now, this is some great stuff. We all have the same amount of time in every day. I mean, think about it. There's 24 hours in every day. There are 1,440 minutes in each day. There are 864,000 seconds in a day. No less and no more. And if we all live through today, every one of us will have the exact same amount of time. Now, I see all of my math students in here. They're all thinking. Now, did he get his math right? Well, just let me share this. Just go online. I got it off a line. That's what they tell you online. That's, that's the number of minutes and the number of seconds in a day. You see what I'm saying? But this is the point that I'm trying to make this morning. None of us have any less or any more time in the day than another person. We all have the same time. You see, I would say it's not a question of how much time we have. I would say the real question is this. How are we investing the time that we've been given? Let me ask you a question this morning, follower of Jesus Christ. How are you investing your time? When I was in seminary, one of my professors told me, the single most valuable commodity that you have is your time. As I've gotten older, I believe that more and more. I would also say that seems to be true according to what we read in Scripture. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul said this. He said we should be redeeming the time. 
Actually, the word there, redeeming, means to buy back, to make the most of every opportunity that God gives us. When we make the most of every opportunity with the time that the Lord has given us, Paul says we are buying back the time that God has given us. Now that's what Solomon is trying to show his readers in this passage of Scripture. He wants them to make the wise investment with their time. Now listen to what he says here in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. As I shared with you earlier, these are not two separate thoughts in the Hebrew language. It conveys one idea, the ideal of a love that is continually faithful. The most important thing we can do in the year of 2020 is offer to God a sincere, faithful love. Now this is the point that I'm trying to make. I want you to listen to it carefully. When you truly love someone, you will devote time to be with that person. I mean, think about it for a moment. Can you remember when you met that significant other person in your life? The person who would one day be your husband or your wife? Do you remember what that was like? I remember where I was when I met Robin. I remember what I remember most is this. She lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I lived in Kentwood, Louisiana. It was an hour and a half drive between those two cities. But you know what? I would drive that drive sometimes at late at night just to go and to spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes with her. Why? Because she was important to me. And I loved her. Sometimes I would go down there and I would take her out on a date. I was always a very respectful young man. Amen. So I'd always have her back to her dorm by 1030, right? Yes. Amen. And then what I would do is I would drive all the way home after that, sometimes not arriving at home until midnight, having to get up the next morning at 4 or 5 o'clock. Do you see what I'm saying? I think everybody gets the point of the illustration, right? Listen, the extent of our love is seen in the time we are willing to devote to the Lord. Through my years of ministry, I have come to realize something very important. I have come to understand People make time for that which is most important in their lives. Would you agree with me? Yeah. You know how I know that? Because my parents have grandchildren. And if you have grandchildren, I don't even need to say anything else, right? I've watched my, ch my parents drive two or three hours to watch a one-hour ball game for one of their grandchildren. Why? Because they love them and they want to spend time 
with them. Now listen to me carefully. Don't miss what I'm about to say here. It's of great importance. If the affections of a person's heart's heart is toward the things of the world, then they will make time for the pleasures of the world. If the affections of a person's heart are toward the Lord, they will make time for God in His things. They value them in their lives. You look at where you devote your time, and I will tell you this morning, that is where your affections lie. It does not matter what you say with your words. Do you see what I'm saying? You see, I've come to understand something, something my mother used to preach to me as a young boy growing up that I missed so many years in my life. You probably have heard it as well. Actions speak louder than words. Say what you want to say, but if you want to know the priorities of your life, look at where you spend time, and that will answer your question if you're truly honest. You see, it is only as we walk faithfully before the Lord with the time that He has given us that we will be successful in the year of 2020. So I would challenge you this morning, take a step back and ask yourself the challenging question, where am I spending my time? Where is the vast majority of the priority of my time spent? And that will answer the question for you, who your God truly is. That is the reality. There's no other way to say it. Solomon said, to this group of people, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Be severe in your love for the Lord. That's what he's saying. Number two, if we are going to be successful in our relationship with the Lord in the year of 2020, here you go, right here, we'll have to be, we'll have to be, thank, uh, I'm sorry, we'll have to be faithful with our thinking. We'll have to surrender our thinking to Him. Now, I want you to listen to what He says here in verse 7. He says, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. When I was thinking about this sermon, the question that came to my mind was this, How can I be, th- uh, how can I be faithful in my thinking before the Lord? Well, that's the question that... Solomon answers for us in verse 7 of this passage of Scripture. Solomon says there's three different ways in our life, three different areas that we will have to surrender to be faithful in our thinking to the Lord this year. First, he challenges us to focus on God-centered living rather than me-centered thinking. Now listen to what he says here. He says, be not wise in your own eyes. Now this is what Solomon is saying. Don't assume you know it all. Well, think about it. Isn't the person who is wise in their own eyes, don't they think that they know it all? Isn't that true? Yeah. That's what Paul is, I mean, that's what Solomon is saying. 
The unwise person is the person who thinks they know it all. I want you to think about this question for a moment. I found humor in this. Have you ever noticed you don't have to train yourself to think about yourself? It's natural, isn't it? From the time we are born, we are the center of our own little universe. As we get older, if we are not careful, that thinking is manifested in this way. I think I know it all. I mean, think about it. Solomon is given a blank check by the Lord. Ask anything of me you want to ask, and I will give it to you, Solomon. What does Solomon do? He says to the Lord, Lord, I want wisdom. God pours out wisdom in his life. By the end of his life, do you know what happens? Solomon is more wise than what God is. Do you see that? What does he do? The very thing that God tells him not to do. We read his story this month. If you read in Chronological Bible Story, it said he married many different wives from foreign lands. And their religion led him astray. What had God told the children of Israel not to do? But you see, Solomon had become wise in his own eyes. When we surrender our thinking to the Lord, we have to replace our own selfish ego with the Creator. We need to move from earthly thinking to heavenly thinking. We must constantly remind ourselves, it is not about me. Man, I'm going to tell you what, that is something I have to say to myself every single day in life. Number two, we surrender our thinking to the Lord by concentrating on knowing and loving Him. He tells us we should fear the Lord. To fear the Lord speaks of knowing and loving God intimately. You and I will never surrender our thinking to the Lord until we trust Him, and we won't trust Him until we know Him. And the only way we can know Him is through a personal relationship with Him. We must know and love Him. You see what I'm saying? That's what Solomon says. And third, we surrender our thinking to the Lord. Now get this, this is so very important. By having a clear moral boundary. Add the last part that is based on the Word of God. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, I preached this uh, portion of this sermon about thinking about 20 years ago. And when I preached it at that time, you know what I said? At this point, I said, well, what people need is a clear moral boundary. That's not enough anymore. Can I just say that? <laughs> that is not enough anymore. It's not even enough for God's people. We assume that people will base their moral boundaries in the Word of God. But I would tell you, that's not true. That's not true. You see, we live in a world that says there is no moral absolutes. The standard of right and wrong is whatever a person wants to make it. God says this is His standard of right and wrong, and His standard of right and wrong is the Word of God. 
you see what I'm saying? It's not whatever we want to do. It's not ever how I want to choose my life as a follower of Jesus Christ because He is the Creator and the ruler of the universe. He has the right to determine what is right and wrong. We will never surrender our thinking to God until we have a clear moral boundary based in the Word of God. That is the only way. It's the only way. You know, I have come to understand as a pastor... Many Christians believe that following God's Word is optional. Can I say that is not true for the believer? Nowhere in the Scripture does God ever say to us, well, if today is a day you want to walk in obedience with me, that's great. But if not, well, you know that's okay. I'm going to excuse you today. That is not true according to the Word of God. If we are true followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible must always guide what we believe. Do you want to know why many mainline denominations are falling apart? In our, they've stepped off the center of God's Word. They've made God's Word whatever it is that a person wants it to be. There's some of it that is right. There's some of it that is wrong. And we only hold to what Jesus Christ said and read. Can I just say Jesus spoke it all red and black? He is the living Word. Do you see that? It's not optional. He's called us to be a holy people. All right, we've, we've, we've looked there long enough, haven't we? Number three, if we are going to walk successfully before the Lord in the year of 2020, I know this is a controversial issue, but I'm going to say it anyway. We are going to have to surrender our treasure to the Lord. You know, in my time in the ministry, people have tried to convince me that the pastor shouldn't stand in the pulpit of the church and talk about finances. Well, but you know, there's only one problem with that. If I don't preach the whole counsel of God's Word, I'm not faithful to what God has called me to do as a pastor. Do you see what I'm saying? As a pastor, I am called to preach the whole counsel of God's Word, not to shy away from any part of it. With that comes the responsibility to teach believers how to rightly relate their finances to God. Now listen to me carefully, please. Now some people may have already checked out on me, but I want you to just hold in here with me for a moment because I want you to hear my next statement. This is of, of, of crucial importance so you'll understand where I'm coming from as a pastor. What I seek to do is encourage followers of Christ to honor God with their finances. I do not demand it. I have no right to demand anything of anyone. Only God has the right to demand of our lives. Now, at the same time, I want us to have a good, clear understanding of what God's Word teaches about finances. I'll share a little trivia. This is a great trivia question. Next time, I know y'all are probably all at home playing Bible trivia at your house. You throw this one out here on them, all right? Did you realize one-third of all the stories, the parables that Jesus Christ shared in the New Testament talked about how we as followers of Christ should rightly relate our finances to Jesus Christ, to the Lord. Did you know that? 
One-third. Now think about that for a moment. If Jesus Christ spent one-third of his time teaching about how we should rightly relate our finances to the Lord, man, that ought to say something to us, right? Now I want you to listen to what he says here. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The issue of giving first fruits was based on the agricultural economy of Israel. The Lord commanded Israel to bring the first of the fruits of their labor, flocks and crops, as an offering to Him. And this is the reason why He told them to do it. It was to teach Israel total dependence on the Lord. Scripture refers to those first fruits as Israel's tithe. Now I want you to see this in Scripture. So quickly with me, just flip over to Malachi, the third chapter. If you're looking for that book, that's that elusive book that's at the very end of the Old Testament. The easiest way for me to find it is start with the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and go back to the end or the beginning of Matthew, and then Malachi lays right there. Malachi is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, preparing to close out the Old Testament before we have the opening of the New Testament. Now listen to what it says here, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For the Lord, for, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, this is verse 6, chapter 3, O children of Jacob, are, are not consumed. For the days of your father you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say... How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed you? In your tithes and contribution. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house." And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Isn't that great? I love that when I read that. Malachi, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, challenging the children of Israel. The word tithe simply, simply means one-tenth or ten percent. This is a principle that we find throughout the Word of God. It first appears in Genesis, the 14th chapter, when Abraham offered a tithe to a man named Melchizedek. He's that kind of elusive character that we find in the Old Testament. He was a high priest and a king. Do you know who the only high priest and king was outside of Melchizedek? Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ is who he is. He's not Jesus Christ. He's a type, a shadow of who Jesus Christ is. Then we come to Proverbs, the third chapter. We're challenged again with this principle of tithing. And then as the Old Testament prepares to close, here we are challenged once again by Malachi. Now, some people would have us to believe today 
that tithing is an Old Testament principle that doesn't apply to the new. Can I just say that's not true? That's not true at all. In Matthew 23, Jesus Christ talked about the tithe to the priests and the scribes. And then in Hebrews, the seventh chapter, we have something very unique happen. It is there that the writer of Hebrews reveals to us who this elusive character, Melchizedek, is. I want you to listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. I'm going to find my place in a moment. It's pretty sad when the pastor can't find his place, huh? Hebrews chapter 7. I want you to listen to this. Verse 6. But this man, that's Melchizedek, who does not have his descendants from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. So Melchizedek wasn't of the descendants of Abraham. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In one case, tithes are received by mortal men. The Levites, the priests of the nation of Israel, received tithes from the children of Israel just like Malachi commanded them to do and was encouraged by Solomon in Proverbs. Bring your first fruits. But in the other case, by one whom it is testified that he get it, lives. Did you see that? Melchizedek's been dead and gone. But there is one who lives. And the writer of Hebrews says, as God's people, we have a responsibility to bring our tithe to the one who lives. You know who lives? Jesus Christ lives. He is the one who rose from the grave. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the principle of tithing is taught. And let me say this. It is never ever given as an option for the believer. It's not there. You won't see it. I'm often asked by people, why should we tithe? For two reasons. When we tithe, we are saying to God, I trust you to provide for my needs. Listen to me carefully. We are no further along in our relationship with the Lord than at the point we're willing to trust him with our finances. That's the truth of the matter. Second, tithing is God's way of accomplishing his work. There is no greater financial investment that we can make in life than giving to the work of the Lord. It brings great joy to the heart of the believer. Now, as we close, this is what I'm going to say. Did you hear the promise in Malachi's words? He said, if you do this, this is what God will do. He will open up the heavens and he will bless you. Now, I want us to be clear about those blessings. I want us to be clear. I'm not saying that God is going to multiply your wealth and give you more possessions in life if you choose to tithe. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't hear me say that. I will say this. The spiritual blessings are out of this world. 
They're beyond imagination. Did you hear what Malachi said, what God said through Malachi? He said, test me and see if it is not true. It is the only place in Scripture where God's people are ever challenged to test the Lord. Isn't that awesome? God says, test me. See if I won't do what I say. That's what he says. You know, as I thought about this in my office, I began to realize believers have one of two perspectives concerning the possessions and the wealth they have. One perspective is this, the perspective that says, I am the owner. All that I am and all that I have belongs to me, and I will choose to use it in whatever manner I want to use it. There are a lot of believers like that, I would just honestly say. And can I say this as well? That doesn't honor God. But there's a second perspective, and this perspective is this. I am a steward. All that I am and all that I have belongs to God, and I'm simply a manager of what God has given me. You see, when I have that approach in life, it frees me up to give. Because when God says, you know what? You know that over there? I want you to give it. Oh, okay, well, God is yours. You can have it. It's all yours anyway. Oh, here, you need this over here you need to get. Oh, okay, God, that's yours. That's yours. Here, you can have it. If you want it, it's yours. I'm just a manager. I'm just a manager of whatever it is that you've given me. I am a steward. You want to know which one's biblical? second one we are called to be stewards of all that we have let me say this you and I own nothing I know what our world says we own nothing you know why when you leave this world you'll take nothing with you you'll leave this world the same way you entered this world with nothing it all belongs to God You know what the single greatest stewardship verse in the Bible is? This is it, as I close. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave the very best of all that he had to you and I. He withheld nothing. One and only Son. What an example. We'll have to surrender our finances to the Lord if we are going to be successful in the year 2020. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word and the way it speaks into our hearts and our lives. Father, this is one of those challenging messages that you speak from your word to our hearts, challenging us where we are. Lord, I hope the desire of our heart 
as followers of yours is that we would walk successfully in the year 2020. Lord, I realize the only way that we can do that is by being faithful in our time, being faithful with our thinking, and being faithful with our finances, our treasures. Father, as we enter into this time of invitation, I hope and pray that each one of us would stop and examine our hearts and lives to, just to see where we are in our relationship with you as we look forward to 2020. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and the way it challenges our life. In Jesus' name, amen.